Welcome to Alternative Dog Moms Podcast. I'm Kimberly Gautier, the creator of Keep the Tail Wagging. For the past nine years, I've been blogging about raw feeding, pet wellness, and life as a crazy dog mom. I've seen massive improvements in my dog's health since I started raising my dogs naturally, and I'm passionate about sharing my experience to help other pet parents. I'm Erin Scott. For the past nine years, I've been researching and learning everything I can about healing cancer, allergies, autoimmune, and mystery illnesses in both my dogs and myself, and I can't wait to share with you everything I've learned on this journey. As the Alternative Dog Moms, we're bringing you all the latest dog health news that we're following and sharing the tips, tricks, and resources we learn along the way. Now, let's get started. Hello, Kimberly. Hello, Erin. <laughs> so I'm bouncing out of my seat right now because we have a very special guest today. Welcome, Dr. Barbara Royal. Hi. How are you guys? We're great. We're so excited that you're here. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. It's so fun. I just, I love doing this kind of thing. It always gets me a little bit more jazzed about my job. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm so glad. So we're just going to dive right in because I have so many questions that I've known you for years, uh-huh. you know, and yeah. there are so many things about you I don't know. So my main question is, where in your veterinarian journey did you veer off and go holistic and raw feeding? Oh, man, you know, it's been a while, as you know, right? So, and it was, it, it always, it's, everybody has their little story. It's always an animal, right? There's always an animal. And it's usually something that's personal to you. And that's what I find with most of my my friends. So it was my own dog, my own, at that point, she was 12, you know, and and I just, I had, it's so dumb because I studied nutrition before vet school and I really should have known better. <laughs> so I was out of vet school and I was, you know, practicing and I was selling kibble and I was like completely determined about it. I even had a client tell me that she didn't ever want to talk about nutrition with me because I was trying to get her to buy kibble food. And she had the most beautiful Newfoundlands I'd ever seen in my life. They were, she had nine Newfoundlands. I mean, somebody who does that, they must know what they're doing or they're crazy or both. <laughs> but she did. And so she made all of her food for those dogs in a separate kitchen in her house because she just felt she should do that. But it was all raw food. And she, and they were, unbelievably gorgeous teeth and, you know, the old ones, the young ones. And, and I said, Oh, you know, as she, and as she was leaving one of the first appointments I had ever had with her, cause I was such a young, um, really naive vet. I was like, I, as she was leaving, she said, Oh, and I make all of their food myself and it's, and it's fresh and raw. And I had already given three of the dogs a beautiful exam, you know, like you guys are fabulous. Bye-bye. And she's out the door and I feed them some fresh raw food. And I was like, get back in here. Oh my gosh, you know, Joan, this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to have to help you with these dogs. Cause you got to start giving them this kibble food and you're, you're, you're endangering them. And I, I, I did it all. I did it all. I'm so embarrassed to say, and she just, she listened really nicely. And then she just looked at me and said, you know, we're never going to talk about nutrition again. We're not going to. <laughs> she was like, bye, Barb. Really nice. Loved, loved being here. And then it was still months after that before I did it. It was my own dog that had to turn the tide for me. And then I remember thinking after my own dog had been eating some fresh food, could it have been the nutrition that made those Newfoundlands so healthy? And then I was like, nah, I doubt it. <laughs> But my own dog at age 12, because I had, I knew that she loved 
um, you know, really fresh meats and everything else. And I knew she was probably on her way out. And they were like, yeah, she's probably got just a couple more months to live. And she's a German shepherd and she can't really walk very well and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, there's, I know there's this raw food company that was feeding a lot of the wolves at the zoo where I had worked. And I had, again, studied nutrition and in fact, ran a lot of the nutrition conferences at the zoo where we talked about the freshness of the food and we talked about how important it was. And then I thought, well, she'd probably love to eat that. I guess I've got nothing to lose. I'll let her have some of those. And I bought these tubes and it was, you know, that was almost 30 years ago. And I bought the tubes and it was messy and gross, but she was so happy. And then she lived till practically 18 years old. Wow. Oh, wow. And she was like, went from being a dog who was like, I can't really move on the beach to catching Frisbees again. Wow. So so your brain goes, oops. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And that was the, that was, that was the, the incredible change. And I worked in like a five doctor practice and she came to work with me all the time. And all the other doctors in the practice would be like, wow, what did you do with Tundra? She looks amazing. What drug is she on? What are you, what are you doing? And I was like, no, I just changed her food. And they're like, that's not possible. Something else happened. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's possible. Did you tell them that it was raw? I did. And everybody was appalled. Like, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. I was likely to kill her any minute. Yeah. That story makes me feel so good because Aaron sent me a text message yesterday and it, I burst out laughing and I want to just read it. And I um, made a reel about it because whenever I see this argument about raw feeding, I think of my dogs, but the, it says, so so it's from someone who's a vet tech, by the way, who made this comment. And it says dogs aren't wolves. They don't need raw diets. Dogs are 10,000 years removed from being wolves, different species, different DNA. Stop treating dogs like wild animals. They're domesticated. So I just think it's hilarious that just by feeding fresh food, it's seen as treating dogs like wolves when, I did a video this weekend of all of my puppies' toys because I decided that she likes dinosaurs. So she has like a million dinosaur stuffed toys all around the house and I gathered them up. And, um, you know, my dog's sleeping on the bed and playing with toys and, you know, and it's just sort of like, yeah, these are the dinosaur, dinosaur, these are the wolves you're talking about. You know, I'm yeah. not treating them like wild animals. Yeah. You know, they're eating off of plates and, and all of these. Yeah. So now that you tell us this great story about Tundra, how do you even respond to the, the message that we're treating our dogs like wolves? It's a funny thing. There's, I mean, there's weirdness sort of linked and hooked in there that make people believe that that could be the case. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of um, horror movies where something gets the taste of blood and then that's all they want, (laughs) you know, and then it's like, oh, your children aren't safe if you're feeding. I mean, there's like weird little things that we all sort of have a little fear about. And we're like, maybe, you know, and it's just, it's just not true. But the fact for me is I just look at it and I say, well, yeah, we we did some breeding for these animals over some years. And I don't think it's been 10,000 years we've been doing it, but whatever. We've been breeding them to look differently. You know, so the outside's been like shrinking and getting bigger noses and ears and you know, the tails and the silly colors and stuff. All that we've been doing, but nobody's actively been breeding them to eat something that's an absolutely, you know, ultra processed, carbohydrate based 
you know, chemical laden food. Nobody's done that. We haven't been like, you know what we want to do? Let's breed them so they can eat that stuff. And so they can eat our styrofoam if we want them to or whatever. I mean, we, we didn't do that. We didn't make a decision that we've got leftover candy and let's put it in their food and let's breed them so that they can process that beautifully and stay healthy. We didn't do that. So we left when we did these, this breeding of little shapes and sizes and things that we like for behavior changes, we did it for that. And that's fine. But the GI tract is the same. The GI tract and the enzyme systems and the way the stomach is shaped in a certain sense, like it's, it's all like a big stomach and a smaller GI tract. It's not our GI tract. It's not the GI tract of a hummingbird. It's not the GI tract of different animals that eat different things. We didn't make them into cows or something else in their GI tracts. And that's where I think we're making the mistake. Like, yeah, my dog is literally on my foot right now, keeping my foot warm. And she's the cutest thing ever. And I would cuddle her all day. She's not a wild wolf, but her GI tract is really just that. And and her enzyme systems and her immune system and everything that was developed over thousands of years to make this particular carnivore here is pretty much the same. She can process things. And actually, honestly, wolves can process a lot of stuff. They're scavengers. They're amazing. So when they're about to die, they could probably live on some pumpkin and some shoe leather and you know maybe a blueberry here and there. All that stuff, they can live on that. And that's great. But that's not what they thrive on. So that's really all I tell people. I'm like, that's really interesting. I'm, I, I can. Yes, my dog is going to survive if I feed corn all day long. My dog will survive for a while. And I won't attribute all the diseases to the food because I'm not going to look at that, but maybe, or, or I just don't want to maybe, but, but the fact is we should attribute their health mm-hmm. to their food and what they're eating. And so I want an animal in my house to eat the things that make them thrive, the things that make the most sense to that incredible, elegant digestive system. It's a beautiful system. And all we do is make it function in a weird way. We're derailing it all the time. And it's like, oh, don't do that. Let's let it work the way it's meant to. It's like one of those, you know, those rube, whatever those things that were the, the ping pong ball knocks the books off the shelf and then it makes the thing go through the pond. And then at the end, you get something happening that's really cool. That's this cool digestive system. And it takes all those things to happen. And we need to pay attention to what that is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you bring up the point um, in your book about like the standard American diet and how people are having, you know, we have diabetes and obesity and we're eating all this processed food and then cancer rates rise. And then the same thing happens with the dogs, like the dogs are now having the same health issues that people are having. And I guess I'm always so surprised when there's such a disconnect. Like, why is it that people doctors are like, please eat a vegetable, please eat fresh food. And yet with with dogs, it's only eat this processed thing. Yeah, it's like we're well past that. We actually are. Intellectually, we're past that. We maybe, I remember in the 60s, you know, space food sticks and tang. And as a kid, I loved those. It was gross. And Pop-Tarts and, you know, I, all those things, you know, that are that were really fun. And, you know, they're out there sort of, they should be like, you know, that kind of food should be festival food or just like once a year, you can get something fun like that if you like it. But um, that was because somebody wanted to sell it to us. It wasn't, nobody ever looked at any of that processed food and like, this is going to make a healthy population because who's invested in that, 
right? So that's our problem. We have to always think, where did this come from and who is invested in that? Were they saying, I want to make food that's going to make a healthy population? Or are they saying, I want to make food that I can sell and make money on? And so I think in the beginning, some of the pet food industry actually was sort of focused on making a healthy, even population because dogs were living with us. They were getting some scraps. They weren't really always healthy. There was diseases. There were things. And someone was like, let's standardize some food. And maybe that was there, you know, with the Morris people and all of that. They were trying. They were trying to do that. But but financial interests and the largeness of these of these companies, I think, started to they just keep pushing it towards like, but then if you do this, you can make more money and they'll still live. And then you can do this and, the, and you'll still make more money and they'll still live. And we can sell this. And that's our problem is like we have to look who's invested in this. Is it that we're invested in a healthy population or are we invested and because we're selling something. And that's the same thing throughout the industry, no matter what it is. It's food, it's, it's you know, a leash and a harness, it's bedding, it's shampoos, you know, with carcinogens in them and scents and like, oh, I, you know, I could go on and on. <laughs> well, it's, it's so true as, you know, when I think about, well, the fact that, you know, one of the largest pet food companies also makes candy, yeah. also owns veterinarian right? clinics, right? you know, or you know, when you look back to humans, you know, we have this cycle of, you know, terrible food, ill health, diet, you know, gym memberships, terrible food, ill health, diet, gym (laughs) supplementation, you know, because, you know, and all you you can get off of that, but it's, it's hilarious because I'm, I'm 52 now and, you know, I get up in the morning and it's just like, oh, ow, everything hurts. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how when I start cooking for myself, things don't hurt as much. But if I'm eating junk food, yeah. everything hurts. You know, when yeah. my snacks are the sweet, yummy stuff, everything yeah. hurts. And so I think about if that's what it does to me, it's like, I can feel that. I know what that feels like. It doesn't make me feel good. I don't feel very happy you know, what is this doing to a dog that's smaller and who really isn't supposed to be eating these things? Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Well, and I always say to people, people are like, oh, no, 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 my dog's been eating this kibble food for, you know, three years. It's four year old dog. He's fine. He's totally fine. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, when I was 20, I remember pretty much eating Wheat Thins and Three Musketeers probably for <laughs> I, I mean, I was fine. I was just fine. But I can't do that now. And if I did keep on doing that, my body would have been building weird stuff, right? So you just have to sort of know that. And then the other thing is that people say my dog's fine, but are they really fine? Because they're coming into me because it's like, well, they're fine. They've got chronic allergies and anagland problems and their dental condition is really bad. And sometimes they get diarrhea, but we're not really sure why. And, but they're fine. Like, 
Mm, maybe not. So I want to see bigger health. Like I see an animal walking into my practice at age five. I want them to walk in like I'm so buff and I'm so together and my hair coat's so glossy that I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to live forever. That's what I expect from my clients. And I see them, you know, if they feed the right thing, that is literally what we see. I see these, you touch their hair coat and you want to just sink into it. It's like this soft, delicious thing because the body's got plenty of energy. Be like, I'm going to make some beautiful hair because I have leftover goodness. So, and, and that's the kind of thing that we're missing. People don't realize that I see dogs walk in. I'm like, I know exactly that you're not feeding fresh food. I can see it before I'm like watching you walk in the door. I'm like, yep. And I'm going to, in, in six weeks from now, you're going to be able to tell me the difference in this dog. It's going to be the glossy hair coat, more buff muscles because you've got more protein to keep muscles on. You're going to see and smell healthier mouth, the odor in the mouth or the odor from the ears, less discharge from the eyes. You're going to just start seeing these subtle things. There's subtle things that people don't really talk about that much that we should be because those are signs of health. So I want to provide the causes of health for these animals Rather than providing the cause for inflammation, you're talking about you're stiff if you eat really bad food for a while. Yeah, you're stiff or you have allergies or your body is just so overwhelmed by dealing with it. It's not fighting the cancer in the ankle or the something else going on. Like, don't make everybody have all these wars and battles all the time. Make yeah. Give them the food that's just like, oh, I'm making a healthy immune system and good muscles and my systems are working. Why not? Why not do that? Why not? How do you address that conversation with clients when they come in and are unfamiliar with this or somehow resistant to change? Yeah, I, you know, I used to be nicer. <laughs> <laughs> I do sort of warn people, although, although my staff says also now I'm, I'm a little more of a pushover now too. So there is, there's both sides of it. And I think that's because now, you know, 30 years down the road, I know I'm going to get there with them. If they're in my office, 99% of the time, it may not be today, but it's going to be sometimes. So sometimes I'm just like, all right, you, you know, they come in and they're just like, yeah, I heard you really want to do this raw food. I'm not going to change. So can you just help me with the other things? I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. So I'm just going to tell you right now, if we don't change the food, we're not going to get too far, but I can help you. It's going to work out. I'm an integrative vet. We can battle all these things with other stuff and tools, but you'll be here a lot. And that's fine with me because you'll spend money and I like that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I sort of do it that way. And then I just explain as carefully as I can about what food does in the body. You know, what does food do? And I think, I think as humans, we've lost track of that. Yeah. Like what does food do? Does food just provide a sensation in your mouth where you taste something and that's the thing? That's what we want? Because I feel like that's what's being advertised all the time. This is going to yes. taste terrific. Mm -hmm. And it isn't always necessarily that we're saying this is going to build a really healthy body. So we have that as a starting point because everybody just wanted to make things that taste really good. And then we do have some things where they're sort of over supplemented or they're, they're, they're sort of some false claims about making you feel incredibly healthy or whatever. There's some of that too. But I feel like we miss the point. What is, what is food doing? It's actually building systems. And what are those systems? Well, they're everything. It's your neurologic system. It's your, you know, how you react to allergens. It's putting in things that your body can use and not putting in things that your body can't use. And it's pretty simple. Like 
if I'm having a car and I need to give it gas, I should give it gas. I shouldn't put sugar water in there. It's just not going to work. Or, you know, if you do a subpar or something, it's not going to work. We sort of understand that. But this is a system that takes a lot of different things. So, yeah, some things might work. Some might, might not. It's not quite as, you know, specific as gasoline because you can deal with different types of things in a dog or in a person. But it's, but let's do the thing that makes it the most healthy. Let's provide the causes of health for all of those systems. And then I just talk about, you know, for the immune system, you need proteins, you know, and this is why these kinds of things have to happen. And for um, different types of um, neurologic functions, you need really good fats and we, they have to be good fats, not rancid fats, not cooked fats. And I do try to talk about it and I'll tell you, it takes some time. So it's annoying for a lot of veterinarians to have to do this conversation, even, you know, the amount of time and trying to get it through to people, I'm finding that to be a real rate limiting factor for veterinarians. They're like, I'm never going to go through all that with my clients. I don't have time for that because you can't really, it's difficult to, to make the money that you need to make as a veterinarian. If I'm going to spend a half an hour talking about nutrition, you know, that was just this long and I haven't even gone through my real spiel, <laughs> but, but, but here's what I do. I train my technicians and I give them lots of continuing education and I, and I empower them with this same knowledge. And that has made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the same thing with my clients. When I tell my clients and I teach them, we really teach them and I give them different tools and different um, all kinds of different resources to look at. And then they're going out. And sort of being the people that say, hey, look, this is actually, this is, this makes sense in my heart. Mm -hmm. As, as I'm saying, I said, if, if I'm saying things that don't make sense to you in your heart, please don't do them because it, it should make sense to you. Whatever I'm saying should be like, yeah, actually that does make sense. Okay. I'm going to do that. And so then that means that those people are going out and talking to people. And my technicians are, as soon as people are walking in, they're like, yeah, we see that you're feeding this kibble food it's an ultra processed food. It's doing these things. It has potent carcinogens in it. It's got glyphosate and these, these chickpeas and it's got, yeah, you, you're going to want to rethink that. Mm -hmm. And by the time I walk in the door, those, those clients are primed. Yeah. So that helps me a lot, but it's a lot because we're changing an entire way of thinking where it's like, but everybody does this. Yeah. Everybody does this. Like, eh, but I'm should they? <laughs> starting to notice more people, you know, because raw feeding has become mainstream because there was, you know, like the farmer's dog, which isn't raw, but fresh food had a commercial during the Super Bowl. I know, um, you know, people are starting to, it's, it's not this like, what anymore? Great. So I go to a local dog park since I work from home. I go during the day when no one's really there. And so I've had conversations with people, you know, because we start talking about our dogs and I have found real like people are fascinated with the diet, but people are really fascinated with dental care and sharing with people, oh, well, this is what I do for my dog's teeth and not even like the raw bones. Like, you know, I have a herbal organic spray that I spray on their teeth that loosens the, any plaque and tartar. And people are like, so what is that thing? And that you were talking about people. I mean, because when you compare a seven, $800 dental cleaning to a $10 spray that you use on a daily basis. That is like lights people up where they're like, yeah, I need to know more about this. I've, I've sold more of that spray over the past year than anything else. 
Yeah. No, having anything that's outside of, you know, anesthesia every year for dentistry, which to me makes me go, what? That's something that's now, it's now routinely recommended that you should go in for a dental every year for your dog. Cause people go in for dentals all the time, which, which we do because we don't chew on the right things, but whatever. <laughs> um, we eat a lot of sugar. Everyone knows it's really sugar and things like that. But then you think about it in a dog, you're like, no, that's normal. Dogs would develop heart. I'm like, I know. Cause wolves and foxes and coyotes in the wild all get dentals every year. That's normal. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like what it's again, that's that, that, fourth grade thing you learn about teeth you know rabbits have this kind of teeth and they chew on wood and then horses have this kind of teeth and they need to do something to keep their teeth healthy and we we learn that at one point in our lives and then we forget about it and pretend like we somehow have to intervene because things have gone so awry but like dental specialties and everything else you know I've got one that I work with that I I mean I do think they're the bee's knees they're amazing for when when I need them for stuff but I need them for big things, you know, broken teeth and things like that, um, where there's something, something happened or, you know, we've got maybe a long history of bad food that's caused a problem and I'm trying to get them into this place of normalcy. But they, I, to, to suggest that they need to get an annual dental is something I, I wouldn't do. And I believe that, yeah, fresh food, the mouth biome. I did some really cool stuff. Actually, this, is, this may be interesting. I cultured the mouths because I'm a freak of, of animals, you know, that horrible tartar with those thick shelves that you see on kibble eating animals. And it's just really scary. So I did, I did swabs and cultures of those mouths. They're kibble eating animals. And then I swabbed the mouths of animals eating fresh raw food. Even some of them had a little dental tartar from the panthers that they dry their saliva on their mouth. Some of those brachycephalics still get a little tartar. And I cultured those and it was terrifying it was terrifying the things that happened not in the raw feeding mouths, in the kibble eating mouths, resistant, weird bacteria, all kinds of scary stuff in there. And that's like, oh, we have the safe mouth with the kibble eating animals. People think, oh, it's fine to let them lick me. And then we have the raw feeding animals. It would be like normal flora, normal flora. <laughs> and that was really fun. Um, but I just did that for me because I was wondering like, what is going on in here? What's happening with that? And I probably should do more and publish it, but that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I'm fascinating. busy being a vet all the time. So <laughs> I know, cause we had a, um, someone on a teeth and yeah. it's the, yeah. that food, the water additive. And I actually just published a um, blog post sharing what I do for my dog's teeth. And that was one of them is doing a little scoop into the water and I mean, I, I love the idea of, um, an oral microbiome and yeah, just keeping the biome healthy. Yeah. I mean, and it's yeah. going back to what you said earlier about how all of these things that we've known for humans, I mean, I don't know, I don't know time, but let's back in history when humans <laughs> only lived to the, you know, 30, 35 years old because we didn't clean our teeth back then. And so we had all of these health issues that stemmed from our nasty mouths. I mean, it's just, again, let's apply that to our dogs and why are we surprised? Yeah. I mean, and it is, it's, it's changes in diet, it's changes in behaviors. It's so many different things. And I, you know, I always think of a lot of the health things that are going wrong tend to need somewhat of a perfect storm of things to happen. It's not going to be, there's too much redundancy in the body and it's too much, you know, efficiency to let something go wrong that's really going to cause a problem to that species, right? So, 
you know, it's just like if you're going to have allergies or something, you know, you need to have a series of things go wrong. Your immune system has to be overreacting. You have to be filling up what I consider to be the cup of allergy problems. Like if you, if you have your cup only a quarter full when you start and you've got then ragweed and all these other things, you might not even ever see signs. But if your allergy cup is full of all kinds of different things that affect your immune system and your reactions, you get one little thing seasonally and boom, you've got allergies. And it's the same with, with all things, like for things to go wrong for cancer to develop, like your body fights cancer 40,000 times a day or more. I don't know, probably more than that, right? So it's just it's just looking for weird cells going, nope, you're out, nope, you're out. And for it to not do that and to develop a cancer, multiple things in the system have to go wrong. And so our job is to make sure that as few things go wrong as possible. And that may be from a lot of different directions, which I know scares uh, people about medicine when it's not like, what's the pill though? Right. What's the cancer answer? What's the thing we want to, let's find it. I've got a research project to find the cure for cancer. It's like, is that sensible? Because cancer really is going to happen for, for, for different reasons. And, and it's going to be the same with all systems in the dental condition or whatever. Multiple things need to go wrong for that to, to really turn into a problem. And all we need to do is fix a couple of them. And it's sort of cool. Then you have more power, really. Like, oh, no, I can get the biome better and make that slow down and maybe get the tartar not to build up or whatever. And the same thing with cancer. I get the body to fight more by feeding instead of twice a day, feeding once a day by feeding foods that aren't actually carcinogens and by making sure that the moisture is appropriate. So circulation is terrific or, you know, whatever. So many things. We have more tools than we think. So I know so many people who come to this integrative way of thinking, this raw way of feeding, that it starts with something like cancer or like a health issue. And they start looking for like, tools outside of the normal vet's toolbox. And then they kind of come around and see like, oh, this is why diet and so many other things are important too. So were you introduced to things like acupuncture and those kinds of other tools first, or did you start with the diet piece first? I really learned more and accepted more about diet through acupuncture, through my traditional, I I studied traditional Chinese medicine And that actually, because when I was young, I watched PBS because I was a dork (laughs) um, and I watched a thing on somebody doing a C-section using acupuncture as the anesthetic. Like that's what they used. And they were able to do an entire C-section and have this baby come out. And the woman was like, that's cool. Um, and I thought, well, that's magic. That's just magic. And I, when, if I ever do my dream, because I wanted to be a veterinarian my whole life, if I ever do my dream of being a veterinarian, I'm going to learn about that. I'm going to learn about acupuncture. And I didn't realize it was actually part of an entire system of medicine that was, you know, I just, I just sort of, you know, being naive again at that time, I thought everybody did medicine the same way. And it was like, oh my gosh, there's all these different kinds of medicine. There's Ayurvedic and Chinese and what, you know, like so many things. And it was so fun to learn traditional Chinese medicine because it talks first. It does they don't even really let you start too much until you've really looked into a, a little bit on the food, right? So you have to talk about food in traditional Chinese medicine. You have to talk about food in a lot of other medicine because everybody knows even so zoo medicine, which I studied first, you talk about food first, because if you haven't provided the right food for that species in the enclosure, 
you won't have reproduction, you won't have all these things, right? So we, we always talked about food first. And then for some reason, I finished my vet school. And it's like, no, we're talking about medicine and surgery first, always, always, always. So yeah, the traditional Chinese medicine, when I learned that, which was I was only I think I was less than a year out of school, when I was like, no, I really wanted to learn that acupuncture piece. And I, and I, you know, had already had my little Newfoundland experience, hearing that fresh food might be healthy. But I was still not 100% on board. And then I studied the Chinese medicine. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And it really helps open your mind to, again, what does food do? What does food do? It, it creates health. And it's so simple. Every species on the planet spends all of its time pretty much, unless they're reproducing, they're spending most of their time trying to find, find they're trying to find the food that makes them healthy. Mm-hmm. And they're excited about it. Right. They're like, no, this is not my, you know, I'm a panda bear and I'm loving this bamboo, which to most people would be so boring. Um, Yeah. You know, and we, people say that to me all the time, like, oh yeah, my my dog would love a steak, but I'm not giving him a steak. I'm like, okay. um, Yeah. I don't want you to give him a steak either because that's not going to be a balanced food. I do want to like, let's pay a little homage to what your dog would love. Cause they're like, Oh, he hates this kibble food. He never wants to eat it. They're, he's a picky eater. He won't eat any, I have to really doll it up. And I got, I'm like, is, does that make sense really that a species hates their food? Let's just, let's just go there from just a purely, you know, are we treating our animals properly in our homes? Are we giving them the thing that makes them feel satisfied and really, truly happy? Because food for me, that does it right. And if we're always feeding something, they're so picky. They don't really like it. They have to convince them like, why wouldn't I want a food that makes them so happy? And it isn't, you know, it isn't food that's going to be like the taste of blood and make them like (laughs) suddenly (laughs) savage. It makes them happy and satisfied and they're calm and together and they're not bouncing around with too much sugar. So, yeah, I don't know. That's how I think about it. So why do you or if you remember, why were you so hesitant about raw feeding, you know, in the beginning? Like, why did you have that knee-jerk reaction? Why, you know, why weren't you like, whoa, are you kidding me? Tell me more. I know, I know what it is really for me. I just believed someone else knew better. I really did. You know, I, I had learned everything. People had, had fed me, you know, all the veterinary knowledge and I had it all and I didn't know it before I went in and they fed me all the things about pharmacology and surgery. It was fascinating and I loved it. And I wanted so much to be a part of this group, this group of, you know, the, the thing I thought about my whole life, James Harriet, and I wanted to belong. I, I so wanted to belong. And being a woman at that time was weird, right? Like you're, mm, you're not one of the guys, you know, can you lift a cow? How are you going to be a veterinarian? You know, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really at a disadvantage. I better just, I really want to belong. And you know what I don't want to be? And, and it was fed to us a little bit. You don't want to be one of those crazy holistic people. Nutrition is boring. Someone else is going to take that ball and run with it for you. You know, that's the pet food industry. So let them do it because they've got all these you know, different ways to regulate it. And they've got these different organizations with lots of letters to them that sound very official. You know, if you've got something that's, you know, got already an acronym, that's practically like a medical degree. <laughs> so, you know, you've got AFCO and FEDIF and all, they know what they're doing. They've got it all. 
and you know, maybe they understand the nutrients that have to go in and that's really important to us, but do they, are they really addressing the format and the form of the food? Are they talking about things that cause health? Are they talking about just the very bare minimum to make sure you don't have animals, you know, die really, or have Mm -hmm. disease. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was just in awe and I didn't, and I knew that it was, it was something I, I, nutrition was boring again, you know, I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about these cool things. And I just didn't want to do anything that would make me look like I didn't belong. Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal at that time. And so when I started down the path, um, I just remember thinking, I'm doing it again. (laughs) I'm I'm making it so that it's going to be hard for me to belong. And I don't want to do that. I had that in vet school a little bit because I didn't want to do, they were, they used to teach and they don't anymore. It's not, it's not allowed. But when I was in school, it still was going on where you would have to um, do certain procedures on animals without any painkillers in order to assess how they respond to pain. Oh my God. And um, I, I knew that was coming up and it was, it was, I think my junior year. And I was, I was absolutely out of my mind about it. Like, I was like, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, like I just, I can't sleep at night. And I finally just went and I said, I, I'm not going to be able to do these, um, whatever there were different surgery things or whatever, um, without anesthesia. I, I will believe you a hundred percent, whatever you tell me is going to happen, but I cannot do it. I cannot do this. And I can't do multiple procedures on an animal that you've bought specifically for me to do these procedures and then euthanize them at the end. I, I can't do that either. Like I, I I'm not going to be able to do these things. And they just basically were like, wow, you just can't be a veterinarian. Then you obviously don't understand what it takes. We all have had to do this. Otherwise you're never going to learn. You're not going to get it into your heart about what pain is and all this stuff. We're going to, you have to do it. And I just thought, I, wow, I, I can't do my dream. Okay. I'm not going to be able to be a veterinarian. I can't do my dream. And I was lucky because at that point, for some reason, I was an older student. I'd gone back to school after doing some advertising. And the dean, I believe at the time, or someone who close close and under the dean said to me, don't think just because you've been on the front page of the local newspaper and they're following your career. They were following my career as an older student that you have any power because, you know, that doesn't mean anything to us. And I was like, oh. So you think if I tell them that you're kicking me out of school because I won't do vivisection and things like that, that's, huh. And I was, <laughs> so you, you don't think that'll make a difference? And then they created a little program for me and eight other students who couldn't do what that, and we did it all with humane shelter animals and, um, we did it with carcasses of bodies and things like that. We did a lot of other things. And then we had to go through some videos about stuff that other people had done. I was like, okay, fine. I'll watch that. And we didn't have to do it. And as of the next year, they never did it again because it cost them so much less money than buying those dogs. Wow. But I remember that feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm pushing myself out of this society I want to be part of. And it's the same thing. It was the same thing with the food. I was like, oh my gosh, I had so many of my colleagues call up and like, what happened to you? You used to be like normal. We're really glad when you were back in Chicago more and blah, blah, blah. Now, like what's happened to you? We're not going to refer people to you. Like (laughs) it was great that you were doing acupuncture, but what's this? Don't talk about raw food. That's crazy talk. I mean, I think that's still what's going on with veterinarians, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I think it's a, a natural human thing to want to get along, to want to, to just want to be part of a community. And it sucks to be pushed to the outside. And there's got to be some type of quandary when you know that this is right. Mm-hmm. And so you're basically being asked to choose between what in your heart is right and being part of a community, which is important because there's support there and protection there. Right. And so it's just, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And the protection part was big too. And it also just you know, and I think it's interesting because right now we're in a place where society is really doing a lot more about inclusivity. Society is talking a lot more about, you know, if you have a different viewpoint, maybe we will allow it. Or if you, you know, if you have a different idea of your gender fluidity or, you know, a lot, there's a lot of things out there now that I think it's, it's been really refreshing probably exhausting um, as well, because it's like, sometimes it's just, you know, it's like, okay, how far are we going? What are we doing? But at the same time, I think it's a shift that, that does speak to the fact that, you know, the rigidity of a lot of these boundaries is really just made by ourselves. And why do we do that to ourselves? You know, why should we do that? And I feel like if we really want to make this, you know, make the world a better place, we have to be looking at that. We have to look at where there may be some other options to keep things together, Um, where we may be able to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to include rather than exclude because there's, there's good in here. There's, there's maybe real information. I don't have a particular um, reason to be saying these things. I don't, I'm not doing it for money. I'm not doing, I mean, you know, God, if I really wanted to do this for money, um, I would be, I would be joining up um, rather than trying to push back a little bit. I'm doing it yeah. because I really just always wanted to, to be an animal, uh, an animal doctor who created healing. That's what I wanted to do. And so if I don't see that, I, I mean, I'm sure that's why there's such a high level of, you know, suicide and veterinarians. I think we're all, we're all taught. We can, we can do this thing. We always wanted to do make animals healthy, but then someone puts oven mitts on our hands while we're trying to take care of these animals. And it's like, I, I can't get anything done. Like, because all I'm doing is recommending we feed this bad food and they keep being sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you be frustrated and feel bad about it? So yeah. you have to know what you're trying to do and why, and see how we can include and look at and be honest about what might be out there, you know, and say there's a possibility that we're wrong. Yeah. When I teach veterinary students, I have my first slide is usually the, um, I'm talking, whatever I'm talking about, it's like, and this is using the, I might be wrong system of veterinary medicine. It's the, the I write, I might be wrong method of um, pra- practicing medicine because it's the same thing. You know, I had Joan in the office with her Newfoundlands. And if I had just been like, I might be wrong, then early on, I'd be, I'd, I'd have come to it quicker. And now it's just all the time. I'm like, you know, huh? I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. I I learned that just as a blogger. It, it's like, it's, it's amazing. I, I learned that if I ask questions instead of constantly just responding, mm-hmm. I, I, I learned so much more. And, For sure. you know, because sure. there's always going to be, especially since I'm not a veterinarian, it's, astounding to me where someone will share their experience where in my experience, that's just not possible. Right. But when they start talking and talk and you're like, Oh, I didn't know any of this. <laughs> Tell me more. And I file it away in my mental Rolodex for if it comes up again, but 
it just makes it even more. I mean, that's the reason why we started this podcast is because both of us were like, I want to learn more about this. This is really fascinating. And also to let other people know that they're not alone. You know, other pet parents know, you know, I, I was, I had to leave a veterinary practice one time because the vet called me a witch doctor because (laughs) of things I was doing with my dog and how I was feeding my dog, you know, and it's like, there, there's so many Mm -hmm. of us pet parents out here who are trying to do what we think is right for our pets. And we want to let other pet parents out there know that they're not alone in in these struggles. (laughs) Yes, no, it's exactly true. And I, I do try to say, you know, even in the exam room, probably a couple of times a day as I'm talking, I'm like, you know, this is my theory. This is my idea about this, but I make it a point to never get married to my good ideas. You know, it's like, it's probably going to work this way, but maybe with your animal, it's not. So let's just watch. Okay. We're not, when I'm not here to be like, you must do this. And I'm now looking away. It's like, you must do this. We're going to watch what happens because that's what real medicine and healing and, the power of being able to be a force for good really depends on watching what's going on. And, you know, it's, it, that happens on a, a micro and a macro and a, you know, global level. Like, does this actually work? Yeah. We need to do that more. I think we all just like, no, it's got to work. It's totally fine. Cause we've always done it this way. I'm like, mm, maybe not, maybe not. And I change all the time. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I do want to talk about animal diet formulator. Oh gosh, let's do. I know because I love it so much. I um my brother and I, I love it so much too. I, I do. I'm say I my brother that. and I are gamers. And if he heard me say that, he would be like, shut up. He's a gamer. <laughs> I like, you know, Miss Pac-Man and mm-hmm. playing gin rummy on my Kindle. And mm-hmm. I treat the animal diet formulator software as my video game because yes. it's to me so much fun to just look at a plate of food that I gave to my dog and then plug it in to see what's going on. I even went through a period of time where I was just begging people on social media, send me your recipe. I need to know the amounts and stuff. And um, just to see what people are feeding, you know, people who had 20 ingredients and not one thing was meeting their dog's nutritional needs, but, you know, they thought that they were doing a really good job. So I was wondering, have you noticed any trends since you've been involved with this software? Yeah, it's been fascinating. Um, I, I got involved, you know, with Steve Brown years and years ago when I started formulating for the therapeutic line for Darwin's, right? So, and that was, I mean, I don't even know, maybe it's 20 years almost now. Um, And we sat in front of his computer with his Excel program. And I was, again, in awe, like, wow, you've just blown my mind about all the stuff we actually already do know about nutrition. And then, even then, it's not anything compared to what we know now. So it was fascinating, but exhausting with that program. I was like, okay, I I will never be able to do this myself. So Steve, you're always going to have to be here with this Excel program (laughs) and this bulky and he's doing things and back and then here's the USDA data. Now this is the way we do this. And it was fascinating. So I loved it. But then when he said he was going to retire, I was like, okay, uh, nope, 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 nope. That can't happen (laughs) because I don't even know what I'm going to do without you. So we ended up figuring out the way to pull all of his incredible brainy ideas. And I mean, he's, he's so into the actual detail and minutia of all of these different nutrients and 
the ingredients and how you do it. When we pulled all that together and put it into this software and put it on the cloud and made it actually a video game, <laughs> um, it was like a, this huge breakthrough for everybody. It was like, wait a minute. So, so I don't have to be sitting, you know, with Steve, although it was fun um, sitting with Steve and doing his Excel program. I can do this and touch buttons. So that was really exciting for me. And now what I've seen is that, I mean, there's sort of this weird thing that happens anytime there's a, a, a tool like this, I think when people are like, but I don't want to use the tool because I don't need to know. We don't have to know. We just do some variety and we're fine. We can just do that and everything's fine. And like, I, I get that. Like there's a li- there was a backlash for a while that was pretty strong and that seems to be fading, I think. Yeah. Where people were saying, you know, nope, it doesn't matter. Just do variety. You shouldn't have to yeah. think about it. Just get a, get a grind. I don't balance my own diet. Why would I, I balance my dog? Why would I do that? It's like, well, because you, you can, <laughs> you may as well know, like, it's not like it's, you don't have to do it. Then you can be like, I know. And now I don't care that I don't have any iodine in my diet. Like, okay, then don't care. But it's cool to know. Why wouldn't we want to know that the fatty acids aren't balanced or something? It's not, it's going to cause a problem with you with the way you train your puppy because you don't have the right fatty acids to make this neurologic system together. I mean, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, my dog's just really hard to train. I'm like, your dog is basically like walking around on sugar all day long. And so, you know, it's just these things that I see that trend calming down, which is nice because again, why don't we want to know? And there's no, there's no big downside to it because what we found is when you do try to balance that way using our brains, it's a mistake because we think we know when we don't. And they're like, well, how would animals do it then? I'm like, well, actually they have shown very clearly in my zoo work, you know, you get an animal that's deficient in X or whatever. They're like, you know, when I go out, I'm going to make sure to eat the eyeballs today because I really feel like eyeballs and they're, they've got the stuff I need or whatever. I mean, they're choosing their foods all day long for basically like, what they need. It's zoo pharmacology. It's fascinating stuff. But do they get to do that in our homes or in the backyard? No, they don't. So there isn't that variety or option to, you know, eat more liver, eat less liver when they kill a large animal in the pack, or there isn't any of that. We're just putting it together in a bowl and they're, they're hungry and they're going to eat it. So to say that we can do that, that's been the best thing for me is to see where animals that were having just chronic problems or having things like that and see the diet formulator going, Oh no, no, look, you just haven't been giving enough zinc mm-hmm. and your skin problems are now gone because we fixed that little thing. And how fun is that? How fun is it, it is. to make a recipe and to be able to go like, Oh, my neighbor just got, you know, three deers and they're in the freezer and we, we can use this venison and I can make this food for my dog. What do I do? Bing, bing, bing. Here's a recipe. Boom. You're good. Yeah. You know, I, I that. my goal was because when I first started, all of my recipes had 18 to 20 ingredients. Mm-hmm. And so the, the winning point was to get it down to 10 and then get mm-hmm. it down to less than 10 ingredients. Yep. And it was and again, it was just so much fun. Just yeah. and it's people thought that I was going to start offering meal formulation services because I had this um, software. But it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just that nerd. I just like to do it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's that thing. And it's been really fun to, to see. Also, what I love is that we're learning constantly because this is now on the cloud, we can change things immediately. You know, it's like, 
oh, we just found out that these levels have always been wrong through the USDA. We talked to the USDA. They've changed their numbers. We're changing our numbers. Now you know that the zinc in that can of oyster is not 20 times what it should be. It's now the correct amount. And so now we're formulating correctly. And I can see that kind of change happen quickly, but we're also looking at fibers and what are they doing? And we're looking at, again, getting the different balances of the amino acids, like the fact that there was just no taurine data anywhere. Like what? Nobody actually knew taurine data. Like it just wasn't there in the USDA database for some, some ingredients. And that's why Steve developed these typical values, which is really a beautiful tool. Like you can be like okay, I know that there's a lot of variation in some of these, um, you know, some of the different ingredients, but Steve's looked at it mathematically, gone to all over the world to get data and then put together what he considers to be a good range so that you're always going to be right. And you can use a typical value for some ingredient and then you know that you've got it, you're going to get it within balance. I mean, that's what we're doing. And it's, it's such a wonderful, flexible tool as we're looking at it, we're like, oh, people want to compare recipes. Okay, let's make that. Boom. Now you can compare your recipes. Oh, people want to do a weight loss diet and they want to figure out how to do that. Or, yes. or they want to do the, the metabolic needs of different activity states that aren't there. Bing, let's do that. Or and that's the strict diet. You know, that's yeah, what I love. That's yeah, what I loved is when you made that change because that's the the biggest misconception. And I will be honest, I had this too. Well, if you cook food, you kill all the nutrients and then da, 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 da. And it's just sort of like, well, explain humans, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like we yeah. cook our food. But um, it's to be able to to take a diet that you want to make. But, you know, especially when Rodrigo was still with me, you know, he, in his older years, he preferred his food to be gently cooked. So to be able to account for that and see, well, what, what changes do I need to make to his diet because I'm doing it this way to be perfectly honest. And there's lots of places to go into nature for some of that, right? So like, you know, um, parents vomiting up food for, for kids is sort of a slightly fermented food, like, which is really cooking. And, you know, and that might happen for an older animal that he can't go out and hunt with them. They bring back food in their stomach. So there's, there's reasons why that might be true. And then we just need to understand what are the changes in the diet? There are some things that are going to be deficient then because of that. And then there also are going to be some things that are actually going to be increased because we've lost some moisture and we have a more concentrated food. But what's the reality of it? Like, okay, let's know that. So we have all these different cooking methods that you could take a recipe and again, you press a button and it'll tell you what's going on with that and how, how it is. So it's such an immediate instant formulator as you're doing it, you can see where you're missing or, 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 you know, need to add or whatever. It's so fun. I agree with you. Video game. Absolutely. For me yeah, too. it is. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. formulate it. My dog's diet, they all eat the exact same thing, just different amounts based on weight. Um, I I went through everything with the mm-hmm. formulator software. I use a base mix. I had them nutrient tested. They mm-hmm. came out great. But then I had a friend of mine who knows a ton about canine nutrition go mm-hmm. over my diets. And I wrote an entire article about it because it's just like, yeah, th- there you go. I did it. And mm-hmm. I think to the average person, you know, like to the person, because I go to a traditional vet, to the person that I'm t- chatting with in the clinic, they're not going to do all of that. They're not there yet. And, you know, um, 10 years ago, I wasn't there yet. But for people today who are really just get a kick out of this. I love that there is an individual option mm-hmm. because I mean, it's, it's 
doesn't give you everything that you can get, like with the professional plan, which I'm mm-hmm. bummed to be losing at the end of this year. <laughs> but um, I oh, am, I'm losing, I'm going, I'm dropping down to the um, individual plan. Yeah. Cause the, the rate, I mean, somewhere between like, you know, it's, I don't know what, 24, $25 versus, you know, it's whether it's $299 or whatever, there's different monthly rates for this. But the fact is it's, it is so interesting and so fun. And even like with your, you have a base mix. Like, did you use that? Do you use that as an ingredient? Now you put that in as it, it's an ingredient. Yeah. And, and, with that and then go forward. It's so fun. Well, because and the thing about it is that because to me, I just use the logic of, okay, so you use a base mix. They say, you know, do you take a muscle meat and you add this much of the base mix to it? And when you look at that mixture, it just looks like a ton of vegetables with a little bit of meat to it. And I was just sort of like, you know, although 80-10-10 isn't balanced, I don't think it's wrong. And I think that because of where it came from, where, you know, because years ago, I basically just started asking everyone where did I even reached out to Dr. Tom Lonsdale and just said, did you come up with this? Where did 801010 come from? And I got all of these answers. And finally it came down to, there was a conversation being had where people were just talking about nutrition like we are today. And, um, and they were like, you know, well, what is a prey animal? What would that mean? And in a conversation, they came up with 80, 10, 10, and it wasn't meant to be a diet. It wasn't meant to be anything, but somehow it stuck and we were following that for years. And so I was just like, I don't think that that's wrong, but it's obviously lacking. So what if I, instead of just starting with muscle meat, I start with 80, 10, 10, add less of the vegetables because I'm covering so much in the organs. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to add oysters for zinc. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then just basically I was going to start there. And the first time I had it, you know, and then I would add like to the bowl, I would add, you know, mm-hmm. raw egg every other day. I would add mm-hmm. sardines like, you know, several times a week or salmon oil or, or salmon, yeah. but I would do these things. And I had my dogs tested after six months of doing this, they came back slightly deficient in vitamin B. And now, based on everything that I've learned since then, I don't know if it's because my diet was deficient in vitamin B or because occasionally I would add fermented fish to my grinds. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if the thiamines, if there is thiamines, deplete it. But then, of course, I don't know if I would have seen that in a six-month time frame with my dog. So I don't know what it was. So I basically just started adding more um, heart and just being a little more thoughtful in right. what and I was adding to the ingredients, diet. Yeah. For ingredients like that, it's, you know, there's, we always are talking about the minimums, but you know, what are the maximums like B vitamins? You can do a lot of B vitamins and they, it could be a lot more and it, they just pee it out if they don't need it, but they use it and it's wonderful. And it's the same with, it's really important to have and it's really important to have an estimate, right? So when I studied, I was a chemistry major for a good deal of my college career. And one of the most important things we did was estimate, like you wanted to know where you're going to end up, how many decimal points are you going to be over before you start? Like, if you don't have an idea about that, like I see, I see nutrition students. Now we teach nutrition at the college of integrative veterinary therapies, and there's lots of great courses, by the way, for every level. So if you want to learn more about this, go to the college of integrative veterinary therapies. I'll put a link in the show notes because it's so fun. But when I'm teaching students, I have students from every level and I even have veterinarians who will come in and say, okay, now tell me how much food would you feed this cat? Do the calculations. 
and tell me how much you'd be feeding every day. And I literally am not kidding you. I got a veterinarian who said I would feed, oh, we figured it out. It's, it's exactly 15 mils per day. So 15 mils per day is in fact a tablespoon. <laughs> so if you think about it, you know, a 12 pound cat and you're thinking, I'm going to feed a tablespoon per day. Like you should know before you start whatever you're doing, if it's a life and death situation, which feeding is, get an idea of what you're starting. Like 80, 10, 10, it's not a bad idea to think about what that means. It's not a bad idea to put together some of those things in your head and go, I have an estimate about where I should be ending up. And I shouldn't be ending up with six pounds of spinach and one pound of ground beef. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. But then that really helps. But then you need to know, why shouldn't you know if you actually have, you know, enough selenium in there? You you should know. We should know. Even if you don't want to follow it all the time, you want to change it up. Or you should know that you have too much copper because you're feeding too much liver. You know, the liver brings such a weird variable amount of copper. The, The Royal Animal Health University Foundation is funding research into the problems with giving liver as treats. Freeze dried treats of liver are causing copper toxicosis everywhere. And so this is a, this is, these are problems that we should know. We need to know. And so I love the animal diet formulator for its ability to help us deal with that kind of problem pretty regularly and easily with a push of a button. Mm -hmm. I love that. I know Dr. Kozier always talks about liver treats. We're working together on the liver stuff actually with her and the animal diet formula and Steve we're putting together better guidelines about, and again, figuring out what's a typical liver versus a feedlot liver versus a grass-fed liver and, and how much the, the, the cattle are supplemented with, again, a huge premix with all kinds of vitamins and minerals, but maybe you know too much copper. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's coming into the liver and it's being a problem. And so we're seeing you know more liver enzyme elevations and things like that. And people are like, I wonder why that's happening. I'm like, um, liver... could be that could be that you know and so get doing the research testing the livers we're doing all of that we're trying to be not only a software program but a program that looks at where there's problems and going oh we need to research that so now we've got like probably i think it's like a six-page list of all the things we want to research and so you know we're just as the funding comes in for it we're just getting to the next thing that's on the list the fibers and what kind of bacteria they we've got a list and we know how to do it we've got people to help us we're doing specific farms we're choosing i mean it's fun but oh my gosh there's so much to research so yeah if anybody wants to donate to the foundation it's the Royal Animal Health University Foundation at the ADF it's easy to find all that stuff but we love it <laughs> <laughs> i love it I have one last extremely important question for you. Yes, go ahead. So I got to see you speak in Albany and you actually sang for us. (laughs) And I was wondering if you'll be doing that in San Diego also. (laughs) I have, you know, my rule is because of my grandmother, if anyone asks you to sing, you must sing. (laughs) So that's the thing. She says, when you've been given a gift to do something and someone wants you to do it and it's a gift to the world, you have to do it. So that's one of our... It's one of my, you know, problems in a way, because I don't, I don't always like, I'm always like, I'm too shy to do this today. But if someone asks me that, I'm like, okay, well, my grandmother said I have to. So now, and in fact, what's happened recently is next Friday, I'm singing in a bossa nova band. So that was, I I was out to dinner with a group and I I sang a little harmony with somebody and somebody heard me. And anyway, the woman came over from the band and was like, will you come sing with our group? And I was like, okay, (laughs) I really need another job. (laughs) Anyway, no, but I'm doing stuff like that. So, so maybe it just depends on what's, what's going on and when I don't, I don't usually like to inflict that on people if they don't want to hear it. But, um, yeah. 
It's a nice one. And it's sort of a, a ritualistic thing, I think, for our group to do that. I have sung it at, at the AHVMA years ago, a, a couple of times. And that was, it's just, it's usually well-received because it's a, it's a pretty good spiritual, I think. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. So fun chatting with you. Let's do this all the time. <laughs> <I know. laughs>